0: This is James Coover with K State Research and Extension's Wildcat in Southland District with your extension crop report. There are some advantages to applying anhydrous ammonia this time of year rather than waiting till spring before planting corn, but there are some risks too. Anhydrous shouldn't be applied in the fall until soil temperatures get below 50 degrees Fahrenheit. We have been unseasonably warm lately, so the soils are still on the warm side. This is good news for the late-planted or germinated wheat, but still too warm for anhydrous. Check the Kansas Mesonet Station in Parsons to find what the approximate soil temperatures are. Besides soil temperature, there is a sweet spot for soil moisture as well. Too wet and the ejection points smear the soil, and the closer wheel doesn't fold up the soil, so some gas escapes. Too dry and the soil is crumbly, so the gas leaves through the cracks before finding enough soil moisture to dissolve into the soil water. Looking at the long-range forecast, it looks like there's a good chance for the right soil conditions coming up soon. The advantages applying in the late fall is largely to save time in the spring. And also, because spring rains often get in the way of the application window, Ideally, spring applied anhydrous needs to be applied a couple of weeks before planting corn, due to the risk of the ammonia killing the seed at the site of application. At times, trying to find that dry spell in spring to plant corn is hard enough. Anhydrous ammonia reacts fairly quickly, but not instantly with soil water to convert it into ammonium, and then the ammonium is retained on the soil cation exchange capacity. The goal of applying in cold soil is to keep the ammonium where it'll stick to the clay surfaces and stay fairly immobile until spring. The main risk of applying anhydrous in late fall is losing it to denitrification before the corn gets planted. The change from ammonia to nitrate is dependent upon soil pH, moisture and temperature, basically anything that affects the soil microbes. In the spring, the rain delays the corn from getting planted when the soil warms up, the denitrification would likely increase nitrogen losses. It is difficult to calculate how much denitrification has taken place, and it is often uneven throughout a field. However, it can mean a need for a nitrogen top-dress application on young corn. It might be a good idea to not put all the eggs in the fall and hydras basket, and plan to split apply some nitrogen fertilizer in the spring, anyways. The ammonia itself has some microbial limiting effects, as it is toxic, but there are also some nitrification inhibitors such as Insurp or Centrino to help keep the ammonia from converting into nitrates. Some publications say we are too far south in this part of Kansas and Missouri to risk fall and plant in plant but there aren't any specific guidelines. Here in southeast, we are commonly pressed for time in the spring to get corn planted in our heavy, clay soils, often too wet, however those same wet soils delaying planting increases the risk for denitrification. It looks like the climate outlook is giving us a probability of drier than normal spring for what forecasts four months in the future are able to predict. If you have any questions over soil fertility, please give me a call at 620-724-8233. This has been James Coover with your Extension Crop Report. Next up, we'll have Wendy Powell, livestock production agent for the Wildcat District.
1: This is Wendy Powell, your Livestock Production Agent with the Wildcat Extension District. Tapeworms often cause more concern among sheep and goat producers than stomach worms, because the expelled worms are visible, whereas stomach worms are only evident by their symptoms or tiny eggs in the feces. Tapeworms are flat, ribbon-shaped worms that live inside the intestines of vertebrates. These long, segmented worms don't have an intestinal tract of their own, but they still absorb nutrients through their skin. Adult tapeworms have hooks that allow them to attach to the wall of the intestine. Mature tapeworms shed segments which are expelled in the feces. These segments are packed with eggs. Tapeworms require an intermediate host to complete their life cycle. Sheep and goats serve as intermediate hosts for several other species of tapeworms. All of the important species affecting sheep, goats, and cattle require pasture mites. These mites ingest the eggs while feeding, and the larval stage of the worm develops inside the mites. These microscopic mites live in the top layer of soil or in plant material in huge numbers. Sheep and goats become infected when they ingest the mites containing tapeworm larvae. Once inside the animal, it takes 6-7 to weeks for the larvae to develop into adult tapeworms. Adult worms, a foot or more in length, can be expelled and passed in the environment. They can be seen in the feces of sheep and goats. They've got a white, grain-like appearance. The triangular tapeworm eggs can also be seen in sheep and goat feces using standard worm count procedure. Definitive diagnosis in the live animal is difficult, and sometimes a post-mortem exam is necessary to confirm an accurate diagnosis. Tapeworm infection is typically diagnosed when the moving segments are seen under the tail or in fecal matter. While tapeworm eggs can be seen in fecal flotations under a microscope, Fecal analysis does not offer a definitive diagnosis. The symptoms of clinical tapeworm infections are similar to the symptoms of other roundworm infections – diarrhea, emaciation, popped belly, and weight loss. In sufficient numbers, tapeworms can obstruct the bowel and cause death. Sheep seem to develop an immunity to tapeworms relatively early in life – 3-4 months of age. As far as treatment goes, albendazole is considered to be the most effective. Prevention is much more cost effective though. Good pasture management and effective deworming programs are indispensable. Interestingly, reviews of research show that tapeworms are not causing any ill effects in sheep or lambs, despite their rather troublesome appearance. If sheep or lambs are looking poorly and tapeworm segments are found in the dung, you should probably look for a causes other than tapeworm. The true cause of ill thrift is probably nutritional, or other non-visible worms like the barber pole worm. For more information on internal parasites, give me a call at the Labette County Extension Office, 620-784-5337.
0: Thanks, Wendy. And now, here's Davin Scrantz, natural resource and diversified ag agent with her report.
2: This is a Dave Swans, one of the Agriculture and Natural Resource Agents from the K-State Research and Extension Wildcat District of Crawford, Labette, Montgomery, and Wilson Counties with your K-State Research and Extension report. If you spend time around ponds and creeks, you may have seen signs indicating that beavers have been busily working building their dams, dens, and food catches. Other signs that beaver have been at work in the area include freshly cut trees, peeled branches, and the odor of a beaver's scent mound. At one time, beavers were the most sought after natural resource in North America, being highly sought after in the 17 and 1800s for their dense fur. Through conservation efforts over the years, the beaver population has recovered and is to the point of overabundance in some areas. Today, beaver can be found on Kansas streams that have a water supply year-round. Beavers are the largest rodent in North America, commonly weighing between 40 and 60 pounds, and are easily identified by their flat, leathery tail and large webbed hind feet. Features that make them the rodent that is most fitted for life in the water. With feet that are suited for swimming, and ears and nose that close when they are underwater. While the beaver's dense fur, ranging in color from tan to chocolate brown, made them once the most sought after rodent in North America. It also traps air, which keeps the water off their skin and provides insulation from the frigid cold water during the winter. In Kansas, beavers most commonly build their dens where there are steep banks, building a den into the side of a river bank or pond dam. Beavers are herbivores and consume a diet consisting of different plants, grasses, forbs, and on occasion, agricultural crops. However, their preference for tree bark is what they are most associated with, both positively and negatively. Beavers will use a variety of trees, but in Kansas, immature willows and cottonwoods are what they prefer. Commonly associated with felling trees, this allows beavers to eat the more nutritious branches in the canopy of trees. In addition to access to more nutritious food, felling trees also provide beaver with material to build their dam and food catch. From the K State Research and Extension Wildcat District, this has been Adavin Strons with your K State Research and Extension Report.
0: Thank you, Adavin. And now, here is Jesse Gilmore with his report.
3: With K State Research and Extension's Wildcat District, this is Jesse Gilmore bringing you this week's edition of the Hort Report. As we approach the holiday season, many people are considering buying holiday plants such as poinsettias, holly, mistletoe, and Christmas trees. The most common holiday plants for purchase are poinsettias. Poinsettias are a member of the spurge family, and the stems exude a milky sap when damaged. This sap can cause dermatitis in people allergic to latex, but other than that, the plants pose no health risk to people or pets. One common myth about poinsettias is that they are poisonous to dogs. This is not the case as research has shown that it takes an ingestion of a large number of leaves before any poisoning symptoms begin to appear. However. It is better to exercise caution and keep poinsettia plants out of the range of small children and animals to completely eliminate the risk of potential negative side effects. Christmas trees can be from the pine, the fir, or the spruce genus, and all of these will have the same general characteristics to maximize the length of the tree. Like with deciduous trees, The needles on these evergreens are actually leaves and go through the same evapotranspiration that deciduous trees do. Therefore, in order to minimize water loss from the tree and extend its lifespan during the holiday season, it is important to keep these trees in a room with high humidity and to chop them down as close to the holiday season as possible. It is important to place these trees on some kind of protective covering so that the sap does not tarnish any carpet or hardwood the tree is located above. Once the needles on the pine tree begin falling, it's time to take the tree outside, as decaying pine trees can attract insects to the dying wood. Pine needles can be used in compost piles as an acidifier Or as an organic mulch in your spring vegetable garden. It is important to make sure that these needles remain wet so the decay process can take place if you do decide to use them in compost. The wood from the pine tree can be used as firewood, as smoking wood for meats and barbecues, or as an edible ingredient in certain recipes in their own right. However, Pine bark's use as an ingredient is only acceptable when the wood has moisture in it still. If the wood has completely dried out from being out of the ground for too long, it is instead better used as firewood or smoking wood. For more information on today's topic, contact your local extension office. I can be reached at 620-724-8233 or at jr637 at ksu.edu. Once again, this has been Jesse Gilmore bringing you this week's hort Report.
0: Thank you, Jesse, and thank you for listening to K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat District Ag Team on KGGF 690 Radio.